0: You're listening to the 21st episode of the Hipster Baseball Podcast, HBP, where we talk about baseball, drinks, and everything else under the sun. I'm DeCarlo Calloway, alongside Dorian, and on today's podcast, we drop out of medical school to pursue artistic dreams, go shopping in France, we ask if NBA players should promote their fans to get vaccinated, and smell something rotten in the state of flushing. And so we will begin this episode like we have done for the twenty other episodes previously by talking about the drinks that we are currently enjoying as we record this podcast. So, Dorian, what's going on today? Brother, how are you? And what is it that you are drinking?
1: Umpai, my friend. Kanpai. Cheers in Japanese. I am very excited that we're now getting into the 21st episode. You realize we've been doing this for almost six months. But... Crazy. Today, uh, it's beautiful. Today, I'm drinking one of my favorite beers, Kirin, kirin Ichiban. It's a uh, beer from Japan. It's uh, It was first brewed in 1888 in the great island country of Nihong, which is Japanese for Japan. So uh, a quick tidbit on what in the world Kirin means. Kirin is actually a mythical East Asian uh, creature. It's uh. It has like the body of a, of a giraffe, a tail of this, the head of that. It has a horn. It's a it's it's uh, it's, it's a very important creature in uh, in East Asia. And so, and I want to talk about one of my no, my favorite artist, not my favorite sculptor, and one of the greatest sculptors of the 20th century, uh, Mister Isamu Noguchi. He's half Japanese, half American. And before I tell you a little bit about Isamu Noguchi, I want to tell you about his dad. It's, this is funny only because we didn't live through this. His dad, uh, Yoni Gior Noguchi, he was, uh, he implemented uh, uh, an American lady by the name of uh, Leonie Gilmore. She was an English teacher and they met in the U.S. I believe they met in Seattle or, or, or L.A. back in uh, the, the turn of the 20th century in 1901. So by 1903, uh, Yonihud Noguchi was married to Leone, but secretly engaged to another woman. Scandal, scandal. <laughs> and, uh, so Noguchi, he went back to Japan. He didn't know that he impregnated this woman. And he was a professor at English back in uh, Ka- Kaio, Kaio University. I can't pronounce it. A few years later, Leone and the young child, Isamu, went to Tokyo to meet up with uh Mr. Noguchi but Mr. Noguchi had already married a Japanese woman <laughs> so he was uh you know as as Martin Lawrence said in the, one of my favorite TV shows Martin you know he's the the player from the Himalayas Mr. Yonihu Naguchi. Noguchi he was the player from Mount Fuji so uh funny but sad but anyway so let's talk about Isamu Noguchi one of the greatest artists of the 20th he he, found, he was actually incredibly talented. Even as a young boy, his mother sent him to be an apprentice for, I believe, uh, some kind of another another artist. I don't remember. But in, throughout his life, Noguchi found inspiration in ancient architecture and art from the Egyptian pyramids, Buddhist temples, Zen gardens, American Indian burial grounds. And a, a few episodes ago, we mentioned that growing up with resources doesn't mean that you grow up with rich family. Noguchi didn't grow up in a rich family. He, he, his mother raised him, and so she was not a rich woman. But what she gave him was an unbelievable drive for intellect, for education, and showing him the places that you can go and the places you can't go. And this is expressed in this one story that his mother, Leone, had read about an experimental school in Indiana. So in is a, this a very this small is, town called?
0: This is Junior from dad who?
1: Yeah, this is from dad, yeah.
0: Okay, so this is. So, he,
1: yeah, so Isamu is half, half Japanese, half American. His mother, okay. obviously, Leone, is white American.
0: Okay, so we're talking about Isamu, not his dad. So, because, all right. Yeah, I,
1: no, I'm no, his saying. dad, I just wanted to tell you about the scandal. The, 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 yeah, his, his dad was the scandalous one who was impregnating women and marrying other women and and uh, betrothed to other women.
0: <laughs> that was quite, you know what, honest, it was crazy back in, but in the late 19th, early 20th century, even up until that. the 20th, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, at least in, you know, Caribbean culture, that's kind of normal. <laughs> Sorry, but it's true. Like,
1: yeah, no, they, they they could still, anyone could do it. Like you no, know, my
0: great-grandfather, uh, he had two families. families. My great-grandfather had two families. Like, yeah, one in Trinidad and one in Panama, like, and like 14 kids at, between. As long
1: as long as they were loved and taken care of. But unfortunately for Isamu, he wasn't really taken care of because his mother was taking care of him. And back then in Japan at the early part of the 20th century, because he was, for lack of a better word, and this is what they would use, he was a half breed. They didn't see him as fully Japanese, the American. And so his mother said for him to have a better life, he needs to go, so I need to send him back to the US where they were a little bit more open, a little. So she sent him to the school Not in La Porte, in Indiana, which is in about a, <laughs> This is like 1910. This is even well before that. Yeah. So uh, La Porte is about uh, an hour outside of Chicago. It's actually in Indiana, but um, it's 70 miles southeast of Chicago, or for you fancy people, about 112 kilometers. And so she read about this school called the Interlaken School when she read the National Geographic magazine. So this woman... She was an educated woman. She knew what to read. She knew what to look for. And she said, that's where my boy needs to go. And the Interlochen School, they were devoted to making sure young boys were physically active. They helped uh, run the school. They had to be very physically fit. And he enjoyed it. And uh, throughout all of his life, Noguchi always considered himself a Hoosier, which is what people from Indiana are called. So fast forward, Noguchi... Graduates from high school and he begins an apprenticeship under a very famous artist called Gotsun Borglum. He's like Bulgarian or Hungarian. He's actually American. He was the man who made Mount Rushmore. This is a very important, very yeah, he talented, was very man. racist. But, no, seriously, he
0: was so, very racist.
1: No, yeah. So this made this is probably this is probably going to where I'm going to tell you right now that Borglum told Noguchi that he shouldn't pursue a career in art. So Noguchi said, okay, I guess I shouldn't be doing art. I need to go to Columbia University in New York and start my pre-med to be a medical student in 1922. This was Borglum's way of saying, you fuck. So unfortunately, Noguchi listened to him and he went to New York. Two years later, he's a student at Columbia University, but his mother told him you need to continue that passion for art that you have. And he was, he was not just a medical student during the daytime. At night, he would take art classes at the Leonardo da Vinci Art School in the East Village. So homeboy would go from Morningside in Manhattan all the way down to the East, to the East Village to take art classes. And if you're not from New York or spent some time in New York, that is a hell of a freaking transit uh, every day or a, bun- a bunch of times a, a week.
0: No, you just take so the A train. Then <laughs> I mean, he decided.
1: That's like an you like an hour each way. An no, hour only, each it's way.
0: It's only 25 minutes. In Manhattan, it's only 25 minutes.
1: Oh come I, on.
0: No, it really is. On. It's only 25 minutes from like from Morningside, because you're talking about Columbia at 110th Street. That that's Down like a hundred. Yeah. Like, yeah, but
1: the I right, we're not we're that's not bore people with the, the no, geography like, of, well, of well, the Island of Manhattan.
0: Well, if, if, if people are listening to our podcast, they know that we're random and we talk about. So, geography of Manhattan is not too far-fetched. This
1: is this is true. But if you're <laughs> saying that the trains are running on time and they're not breaking down. So, that's why I'm saying it's not going to be 25 minutes. It's never 25 minutes. Maybe on the on the early Sunday morning. Anyway, so, Noguchi, somehow he would take the carriage, walk. Maybe he didn't have money to, for the tokens for the subway back then. So, like ultimately, he was good enough. He decided... <laughs> He was an art student and a pre-med student. Come on. So he, he, drops, he drops out of Columbia Art School to dedicate himself fully to art. And a few years later, he, he's becoming very famous and he receives a commission from the Zenith Radio Corporation in, 19, in the mid-1930s. The Zenith Radio Corporation, 100 years ago, was the Apple Corporation of today, was the Google of today. And he created something called radio nurse and it's beautiful because Noguchi sometimes is sometimes is is talked about having invented the the baby transistor you know when the baby's in the crib and you're like in the kitchen living room he actually didn't invent it zenith the zenith radio corporation invented what zenith wanted to do was have him create the actual the way it looked and he designed it to look like a kendo kendo helmet the kendo helmet is the helmet that the samurai warriors wear and so if you ha- even if you see a microphone today, it has those like silver straight lines across. That's from Noguchi. Uh, get look that up. The Radio Nurse, it, made in 1937. He was, also, he was so well known that he also completed a sculpture at the, at the Associated Press Building at the Rockefeller Center, also in Manhattan. And that specific sculpture represented the freedom of the press. And it was his first public sculpture. sculpture. And he also has a sculpture in the White House. It's called the Floor Flame. And he's the first Asian American artist to have his work shown at at, at the White House. And uh, the White House actually bought that work of art in uh, 2020. So uh, this man is, he went through a lot because again, he was not seen as totally American, not totally Japanese in either country, in either culture. And in World War II, the US did a very shameful thing of interning Japanese citizens in concentration camps. That's exactly what they were. And Noguchi voluntarily entered a, uh, the Potsdam and War Relocation Center in Arizona, thinking that he could change how the Americans see Japanese wrong. Racism is unbelievably powerful. And he realized he wasn't going to be able to change Jack. And so after, it took him two months to get out of the camp. But um, he still tried to do what he, he still tried to improve the relationship between Japanese and American and the American, what is it? Pri- not the prisoners, the prison guards. So anyways, Noguchi, Amazing artist, amazing mind. You can still see and feel his artwork today. He made beautiful sculptures all around the world. He he designed beautiful furniture. He had landscape architecture. Two of the things that you can still buy today is the Akati floor lamp. It's still being produced after 70 years when it was first designed. It's actually an electric light bulb that he put in a traditional Japanese paper lamp. And it is absolutely beautiful. And I, I encourage you to look up the Akari floor lamp. And he also made the famous Noguchi table. It's, uh, it's a wooden base. The table has wooden base and it's composed of two identical curved wood pieces with a heavy plate glass top. And it's, again, absolutely beautiful. And I encourage you to go check out the Noguchi Museum in Long Island City, in Queens, New York, basically, but you know, the the enclave of Long Island City. He established it in 1985, a few years before his death. And if you go, you can actually get free admission uh, the first Friday of every month, but it's actually closed this month in February, but all the other months, the first Friday of the month, it's free to, to attend the Noguchi Museum in Long Island City. And if you want, make a day art trip out of it in the morning, Go to the Noguchi, Noguchi Museum, go have a lunch somewhere in Long Island City, and then go over to the MoMA PS1 in the afternoon, which is also in Long Island City. So, Kanpai, my good friend DiCarlo, cheers to Noguchi, and cheers to the love and understanding of two cultures cr- coming together for babies, drinks, and art. What are you drinking, Carlo? Well,
0: this evening, I am drinking a South African Savio Blanc called Indaba. Um, I first came into uh, in contact with this wine back in my early 20s, actually, because uh, my grandmother was, she always used to order wines. And from wherever she was ordering wine, this wine was one of the wines that uh, she would get every month. And I happened to go to a local wine shop and I saw it there. And I was like, oh, this is really, you know, this is memorable. And I always remembered it had a nice, it was, you know, Sauvignon Blanc, you can kind of get hit or miss. Sometimes it can be very flowery. Other times it can be very dry. This one, it's like right in the middle. It doesn't have too much of that flowery taste to it that some of them can give you. And it's not super dry. It's like just right. And so it's really nice to to drink uh, a wine that I've been, you know, accustomed to or, or have a nostalgic uh, feeling towards. So, yes, this is what I'm drinking this evening. And uh, yes, it's it's definitely the perfect touch for the start of a very good podcast. So cheers to you. Or kampai, that's
1: kampai. That, or true. how do you say cheers in, not Afrikaans, in but Boer? what's the language of no, In Africa? Afrikaan, Afrikaan. no, Afrikaan.
0: no, Afrikaans. Afrikaans, Afrikaans
1: is what the Dutch.
0: No, Afrikaans is the language of South Africa. Because remember, oh, Afrikaans uh, okay, were Boers, everyone... like it was. I know, yeah, yeah. but it's Afrikaan. I but know, I Afrikaan. thought
1: the, the, but that yeah. was the Boers that came from the Netherlands with Afrikaans. But obviously, the South African blacks—that's not their native language. But anyway, no, there's so many
0: languages uh, and dialects gonna... in South Africa because of the exactly. Tribes, so, but anyway, I don't so speak whatever the language the... of overt racists. So <laughs> I don't care what Afrikaans. Sorry, I mean, okay, but no. So yeah,
1: cheer, yeah, because yeah, Japanese aren't. Anyways, yeah, so cheers. <laughs> well, well,
0: the so, Japanese are kind of bad. And,
1: <laughs> uh, we, mm-hmm. Moving on. Yeah. So <laughs> when we when we drink, we feel loving, we feel understanding, we feel accepting of all different cultures. And that's when you unless you're we trying to get a listener women. to share with us, to share with us what you're drinking. When you're looking at a beautiful piece of art, when you're enjoying time with your elders, with your grandparents, with your family, with your friends, tweet us a picture of what you're drinking, and we'll be happy to retweet it. Our Twitter handle is at HBP4040, and remember to use the hashtag HBPDrink. Earlier at the top of the show, DeCarlo said, we're going shopping in France, and ladies and gentlemen, I am not going to disappoint you. We are going to France to shop for TV rights that being the soccer league in France called uh, Ligue 1, which means league one or the first league in France. They're going through some coronavirus issues and financial issues in France, as there is in every corner of the world. But specifically, Ligue 1 in France, they had just last year, they signed a four-year right to showcase their their games with a company called MediaPro. So originally the contract was for four years and MediaPro would pay the league on teams, the clubs. I think there's 20 of them, uh, three billion euros, which is 3.6 billion dollars. That's a hell of a lot of money, but, but it's
0: allocated four months. Teams differently
1: it's amongst the 20 years. amongst the 20 clubs. Yeah. But this this contract that league on signed with MediaPro was 50 percent more than any other contract that he had signed before to show their, their the, the, the the matches on television. But four months into the contract, MediaPro stopped paying. <laughs> they, they just did two payments and then they were like, okay, that's it. We can't do it. And then you look, you dig a little bit more into this MediaPro. They're actually, a, they're, they're owned, the majority owned by a Chinese conglomerate. I'm sorry, they're, they're Chinese owned. EO is this Catalan from Spain called uh, Jaume Raures. He's the CEO of MediaPro, and he's also looking to renegotiate MediaPro's deal with Spain's La Liga. It's like, what, what's what's going on here? They don't have the money to do anything. And MediaPro had said that for them to turn a profit in France, they would need to have four million subscribers to their MediaPro uh, channel. This you know, streaming service. They ended up only signing up six hundred thousand, which is just over. 10% of what they needed so obviously they, they had no money out of anywhere and again shady media pro they tried to sign a tv contract with Serie A in italy in the italian league two years three years ago but at the end the italians the italians were the most disorganized people in, on the face of the earth they backed out because Legendary. media pro wouldn't give financial guarantees no, this is true. This is why they, this is exactly why the, the Italians pulled out. They said, you're not giving us financial guarantees that you're going to pay us X amount of money over the life of a contract. We're out. Ladies and gentlemen, if the Italians are, don't want to do business with you, don't do business with them. <laughs> not with the Italians, with whoever the Italians are rejecting because they're a little disastrous with their government and their business. But um, anyways, long story short, because of this, You have to think about like, oh wow, these rich people, these rich clubs are getting money. Who cares? But again, we have to remember that uh, normal people work at these clubs, whether they're at the concession stands, in the administrative, in HR, in accounting. These are normal people with normal jobs. Not everyone's making twenty million euros, twenty million dollars a year. Not even close. So because of that, the French government reluctantly gave a two hundred. They backed a two hundred and twenty million dollar loan to the clubs. But the minister of sports, I forget his name, in France, he said, this is it. We are not giving another loan to you guys. So Ligon has to get their act together. So Ligon said, said to, the, to other streaming services, please come shop and buy our TV rights. And so they got offers from Amazon, obviously Amazon Prime. That I means you could have watched French Ligon on Amazon Prime. Dazen, which is a European sports streaming service, and the new Discovery Plus also put in bids. Not one of them met the the asking price. Ligon didn't say what they were expecting, but they didn't. But firmly, they didn't. They didn't meet their asking price. So, Jeff Bezos says, "Uh, uh-uh, no way, Jean-Pierre. I'm not paying that because it's too much money." So, finally, just a few weeks ago, on the fourth of February, Ligon signed a contract with uh, their traditional provi- uh, provider for TV games, uh, Canal, Canal Plus. Canal Plus to anglicize it. It's a it's a local French uh, TV station, and so from from now until the end of the season, basically now from now until the end of May, Canal Blue is going to show the remainder of the season. But League is going to have to go through this all over again in the summer. If not, you're never going to be able to watch, as DiCarlo thinks, one of the worst European soccer leagues.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's <laughs> not it's one it's
1: of the funny. worst. No, I'm they're just not one of the best, and so they were asking for a lot of money, and they they got it, but they realized that these people didn't have the money to give them what they wanted anyways.
0: Liga uh, is uh, broadcasted through Being Sports along with La Liga 2. So, uh, that also, like, varies. But it's, it's really interesting that you brought this up because um, when it comes to TV rights, like, that's some of the biggest, like, lucrative deals that are happening when it comes to sports, especially, like, European soccer yep. right now because a lot of that money especially when it comes to, say, contests like the Champions League, all of that trickles down. So it, you got 20, 20 teams in this league, but not all the teams get the same money allocation because a lot of that also depends on your teams that do get that extra bump by being in Europe or who are more competitive, their games are going to be on. Like, you're going to mostly see, like, if people who actually watch League Uh know, like, all right, the most teams that you could probably name are PSG, AC Monaco, um, Olympia, Olympia, Lyonnais, and Marseille. Ba- ba- say. Yeah. Otherwise, nobody yeah. else. Like, who else? Like, do you know? I don't think there's people in America talking about. Oh yeah, Bordeaux. Montpellier play today. Like, no. Um, <laughs> but, Toulouse,
1: Toulouse versus um, Bordeaux. Bordeaux. Yeah. Zidane used to play in Bordeaux, and they have amazing wines there.
0: Yes, Bordeaux. Yes, for sure. But still, when it but comes to to,
1: to, to to put this to into context to Carlo the like I had said the original tv deal for Ligon was four years for three billion euros which is basically around 3.5 million dollars major league baseball they signed I think it was this year or last year it was a seven-year contract worth 3.8 billion dollars believe it or not to Carlo the French league was going to get more money over a shorter amount of time than major league baseball which just blows my mind Like but still, it's still all of a boatload, boatload of money. Yeah, yeah but yeah, because yeah, have they, a the French, region. the who follows the French league, North, Africans, North Africans, West East, West Africans, West Africans, all the basically the Francophone world.
0: Yeah, yes, which is still large. Like we have to remember, a lot of what we think is still based upon the colonialized history of the world. So in those developing areas within West Africa and North Africa, you do still have a huge fan base. And not only really that, you have one of the be- like one of the top soccer players in Neymar who, who does play for the French League and um, PSG. So that is going to attract a lot of attention. And, you know, there are – there are rumblings that maybe Lionel Messi might find himself playing in France after the season. What? You
1: know, that is sounds he insane. is, he is that, leaving that, Barcelona. That's, that's a topic for another podcast. Well, you know Oh, he, he should. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm mad. I'm going to be, I'm mad at Messi for not leaving last year, but that we're going to have to do another podcast. They
0: put him in that, a cycle. But, uh, but anyway, that's, that's another, yeah. Like you said, that's another story. But still yeah. when it comes down to it, so, the business of these, these, these TV deals, it's, it's huge money for these organizations, for these, for these leagues. And you know, it shows the dysfunction of how for one, it it seems like Media Pro was kind of off of it anyway, even prior, because if you're not getting contracts finalized back in twenty eighteen when economies globally were on the rise in most cases, then twenty twenty and twenty twenty one wasn't gonna be the best environment for them moving forward. So
1: and the, uh, they, the environment is not well because of coronavirus. And that's the reason it hit Media Pro. It hit Lee, Lee Gunn, it's been hitting the NFL. It's hit everyone. And it's also hit the NBA. And it's hit us as individuals. And now we're having a much more successful rollout of these vaccines. And there's a question on not just who should get it, but who should be promoting the vaccination process.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is really interesting, because if you're looking at now, like recently, there's an article on ESPN.com talking about, you know, NBA players, players' hesitancy to really promote coronavirus vaccines, which, you know, some people would sit back and wonder and, and think to themselves, like, you know, why, why is it that professional pl- sports players are going to go out of their way to promote certain things? But when you look at the NBA, this league within – the last maybe decade has become a lot more involved in politics and social issues and really, you know, has made a big line in the same when it comes to those issues, especially when we look at the, um, the racial reckoning and police brutality that was taking place last year and also voting. You had LeBron James create pretty much create use one of his organizations to help register people like to to vote and the NBA players also push the NBA's owner's hands by opening up their arenas for voting last year during the 2020 election. But you're finding a hesitancy from many players to want to promote the coronavirus vaccine, which is not, it's not surprising if you know the history of government intervention when it comes to communities of color. Um, when we look at vaccinations, there's a history of the Tuskegee experiment when, within the African-American community when Uh, You know, the U.S. government knowingly injected African-American men with syphilis (laughs) and was allowing them to essentially deteriorate. And so there is always this fear. And a lot of NBA players are like, wait, should we really be promoting this? Even though if you look at it from a dollars and cents type of um, perspective, if you do have NBA players promoting, you know, vaccines, especially if you look at, say, the Brooklyn Nets, like in the next month. They're going to start allowing, like, fans to come back into the arenas again. You would
1: limited like, limited amount of fans, yeah,
0: limited, at, um, uh, yeah,
1: the Barclays Center,
0: yeah, limited. But you would think that they would want to promote people within the communities to go ahead and get vaccinated. Though there probably will be those who do, but you are seeing this hesitancy, which I'm not completely. You know, you'll you'll have that other side of the argument is like, well, athletes now want to make themselves into these you know, use their platforms for social brands. issues and brands. You should be able to do this. Where's the hesitancy? But this is also a public health type of situation. You have them promoting mask wearing and social distancing. But when it comes to having people, you know, or advising people to inject something within their body, that can also be a little bit of a different step. But, you know, it from my perspective, I don't feel as though, they should be forced to have to do that. If they want to do that, then they should be willing to do that. But at the same time, um, I don't think that, say, the NBA or, say, NIH or the government should look toward the NBA and then be, you know, upset if you find a, a percentage of players who are not for that. Because there was also a percentage of players who weren't for the promoting of Black Lives Matter or getting too politicized within it. Not to say that they were against the message, but some people just feel as though, you know what, I I would prefer not to use that, my platform. You know, not everybody's a LeBron James who could go out there and still not lose their endorsements. You still have a lot of guys who wore the bench. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they're like, you know, I can't go out and do this because I could potentially, you know, I don't have that guaranteed spot.
1: I keep saying, and I keep believing every single shot that goes into arms is an extra dollar back into everyone's pocket because that helps open up the economy a lot faster. I don't know how things are doing. I don't know how the English footballers, the English soccer players in, in England are doing because the UK is doing an okay job with vaccination. I believe the last time I saw they had about 15 million vaccinated in citizens and the UK has about 65 or 70 million people in the, as part of their population in the US Again, we're, the NBA players might be promoting vaccination for uh, against coronavirus, but I'm, I'd be interested to find out how things are going in other leagues around the world. Whether it's see in Australia, the you know the Australian Football League, which is Aussie rules football, not anything that we that we can that we know about uh, soccer, or even in whenever India gets the vaccination, if they're if they're cricket players, which are cricket is like basketball times football times soccer in india it is a religion in india and in pakistan and in sri lanka so i'd be really interested to see if their cricket players would also be helping roll out uh, i completely agree with you that what is it what's what's the statistic i think 75 80 percent of players in in the nba are african-american the other being you know white or european but at the same time, that's money in your pocket because that's out, that's someone being able to buy your Nike shoes or your Adidas shoes or whoever your sponsor is, as well as being able to go out to have a job and now being able to buy your jersey, go out and buy this, that, and the other. And the NFL is going through this where the the, the salary cap next year is going to be lower because the revenues were just absolutely crashed during the 2020 season. So it's going to carry over. So that means less money that the old NFL owners are going to pay the players. Ultimately, it's in your economic interest. I'm saying if you're an NBA player, if you're a professional athlete in the U.S., to help promote the vaccination because you're hurting your own potential earnings. That's, that's my thing because if not, it's going to be a cold, cold winter without vaccinations next year.
0: Yeah, so. Well, we'll see how that kind of plays out. But it's, it's already a cold, cold winter in a lot of other places right now, especially those, our friends in the Midwest and in the South, and especially in places like Texas. And so, you know, I want to ask everybody who's there, especially dealing with power outages, you know, we need to make sure that our energy companies are on, on the level and distribute energy efficiently and are making investments in new, like sustainable energy, like wind and solar, but also making sure that it's distributed distributed equitably amongst. I, I recently saw an image of downtown Houston lit up, and the at the outer suburbs and exurbs are completely dark. And I wonder why that is. And it's because we don't have adequate energy. But you know who does, and you know who will sit back and distribute that fully. And we're on. Just have to ask you, why ask? You know, Invest in Enron.
1: We want to thank our show sponsor Enron, and we want to thank Enron for keeping the five percent of the Texan citizens warm because they're the only company actually be able to push out energy, heat, and light to uh, hospitals, to pizza parlors, to uh, NBA rooms and, and homes. So. Cheers to our cheers for Enron to keeping us warm to Carlo. De Carlo and myself warm because they give us free energy. But uh-huh. one of my favorite segments unsolicited advice. Earlier, De Carlo quoted, he we quasi quoted Shakespeare about something rotten in the state of Flushing. <laughs> Flushing being a neighborhood in Queens, New York. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a line we lifted from Shakespeare in in, in, in the play Hamlet, they, he writes. Something's rotten in the state of Denmark. Our unsolicited advice this week is men don't harass women. Uh, we don't know, how to, we don't know how, to, how to say this nicely, directly. Just don't do it. A woman is your mother. A woman is your sister. A woman is your cousin. A woman is your grandmother. A woman are, are people that you've come across throughout your whole life. But so what's exactly rotten and flushing? the New York Mets play out of Flushing. They're headquarters in Flushing. The baseball team, New York Mets, they were, you know, four or five months ago, they were just bought by Uncle Steve, Steve Cohen, the the gazillionaire, the billionaire, hedge fund manager. So what's going on in Flushing? So as some of you know, a few episodes ago, we talked about the, gen- the former general manager of the New York Mets, Jared Porter. He was in his job about a month and he was fired. Why? Because he had sent... He was harassing a female reporter and sent her over 60 unsolicited text messages and pictures. When Steve Cohen learned about that, he said, you're gone. Jeff, Jared Porter had done this when he was an employee with the Chicago Cubs and it's, and, it, and it's over. Secondly, former New York Mets manager, Mickey Calloway. And right now he's currently the suspended, he's been suspended the, the, the pitching coach with the Los Angeles angels he uh, was accused of inappropriate behavior towards at least five, one, two, three, four, five female sports reporters in his time with the Cleveland Indians and the New York Mets. Lastly, the current or now the former hitting performance coordinator for the New York Mets, Ryan Ellis, was fired this week or last week. He was fired now in February after three one, two. Three women accused him of sexual harassment in the sum, back in the summer of 2018, and he still kept his job. All three women worked for the New York Mets. So this is, uh, co- what is this, co-worker harassment. And I'm gonna give you a quick quote here. Quote, the third woman said that she reported Ellis after he would call her late at night to ask if her boyfriend was home. She also noted that she would often see him make, quote, sexually suggestive comments end quote, to her and other low-level female employees. So all three women had reported the incident, again, back in 2018, to the then employee relations manager, Aubrey Weschler. Here's the problem, not just the harassment issue. Aubrey Weschler is a female, and she's currently still with the New York Mets as the director employee engagement. I'm going to go out and guess that she's the next person to be fired, DeCarlo. How are you going to hear three different women come to you and say, hey, this guy in the organization has been harassing all of us independently, and you don't do anything about it? I I applaud Steve. Exactly. And that was the poisonous culture that the Wilbon Wilbon family that owned Wilpons, them, those bums. Uh, I've been having too much of the uh, Kendall Kirinichiban uh, Chiban uh, beer. It's the poisonous atmosphere that the Wilpons had as the former owners of the Mets, and I applaud Steve Cohen for getting rid of anyone who has any of that suspicion. Jared Porter, Mickey Calloway, Ryan Ellis, and frankly, he needs to get he needs to look into this Aubrey Wesler for uh, not doing anything about uh, these other women. Uh, yeah. I don't know it 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 it, it it's incredible that this continues to go on. And especially now.
0: These you say that about are... racism, but you know what? It's not, it's really not surprising when you have an endemic it, like problems when it comes to say sexism and racism and all of these things that essentially have been okayed for generations. And and like you said, it's, it's essentially what you're seeing now is an an inside, like a bird's eye view to the the toxic culture that was the New York Mets organization under the Wilpons. And the fact that it was like, all right, it's an old boys club. And, and, and and for guys, man, like seriously, like come on, man, if you're working with somebody, take them seriously. Not every single woman, just because you find her attractive, they don't mean they want to talk to you. If, 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 if the initial reaction is not like, for one, don't talk during work. Like, I, it's really easy to kind of avoid these situations. And, but it also, I see where it's a very, it's a lot of gray area because, you know, on, on certain occasions, like, you'll have the double-edged sword of a lot of what's happening now. So you could have situations like, the looking example, Season Sorry, where he, you know, found himself caught up in the Me Too situation. Time
1: out, time out. Who in the world is Season Sorry?
0: Aziz Ansari, the comedian, the, the Indian comedian. Oh, oh, the... oh! Sorry, yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. You find him caught up in the Me Too like drama, and that whole story just sounds like a bad, a date, a bad date. Exactly. You know, like we've all been yeah. there. We've gone out with somebody, you know, we're signals are mixed, and then boom, you know, oh my bad, it just doesn't turn out right, and then he finds himself having to try to do, resuscitate his career from a situation that just worked badly. And then you have these, like, guys who are, like, sending, you know, phallus pictures. Unsolicited un- pictures. Well, I mean, to, to women who they're not even romantically engaged with. Like, I mean, there's a lot of guys who send unsolicited pictures to women they're romantically engaged with. So I, there, I, there's, there's a little bit. But if there's no pretext and you have these situations like texting in the middle of the night. And then you'll have situations where dudes will have different phone numbers and then text from a different number and act like somebody else. Like it's just desperate. That's harassment.
1: That's harassment. But that's you, you nailed it on the head. That's what I was going to add in. I'm sorry. Go on.
0: No, but I was like, and then you also see like, when you bring up, uh, you know, this, this like employee manager, Aubrey Weschler, who's a female. And a lot of the time you would think, and a lot of people get this wrong too. They think that when the situation is brought to the attention of a woman that she will then feel empathy towards other women and then report it. And a lot of the time that does not happen. A lot of the time you will find situations where it's women who will sit back and cut it off because they're also a part of that system too. So this is really such a, a big issue that is going to take years to really start to thread out because you're not only, it's not an overwhelming acceptance because then you have other people across the spectrum who are saying, you know, Oh, when is it going to stop You're, you know, you're demonizing men and their behavior. Boys will be boys, but boys have been boys for like for years. Like, you know what? Sit down have a coconut smile and shut up. Like it's just sometimes people just need to call a spade a spade. When somebody's acting out, call them out. Uncle Steve, you're doing a good job. We also know that's because you already had situations back. Pretty, like at the hedge fund, <laughs> you don't want any more lawsuits. Exactly. He's no dummy. He's no dummy. It's a smart, it's no a smart business decision, especially when you are taking over an organization that that's, you know can be very profitable and that toxic you do not want to match. tarnish it. So, but also he has a lot of skin in the game because, he, you know what, I like it when you have owners who – are truly deep down, like he's both full throttle, like Mets supporter. And so for him, I, you know, it's like, I'm not going to, for one, on a business sense, I'm not going to let this bring you down 2 I'm a Mets fan. I'm not letting this like happen anymore. So. Yeah.
1: You don't want that black eye on, on your organization, on your favorite team. And that sometimes you hear, you know, your other female friends of like some things that that have been talked to them, things that have been said. And a lot of times, this is this is actually an anomaly, the fact that all of these harassing issues out of the New York Mets have come out. Because as we know, a lot of harassment is never reported. It's never really addressed. And I always, I try to tell men not, here's the thing, women, men don't go around telling each other, hey, I'm harassing this woman. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. No, you as a man economy. don't know that. Yeah, yeah, you as a man don't know that maybe your brother, maybe your cousin, maybe your friend is harassing another woman. You don't know that. These men who are harassing aren't going around bragging that they're harassing, like, oh, I'm sending her unsolicited pictures. But just as a general blanket statement, men, women aren't like us, thankfully. And thankfully, men are not like women. If you have if there's yeah, been there's no some, traction of uh, oh,
0: let's, 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 yes let's, but but let's but
1: let me but let me finish because if there's been no traction and you think oh if i send her this uh scandalous picture at one o'clock in the morning when there has been zero zero groundwork there's been zero understanding there's no previous relationship there what exactly do you think is going to happen Do you think she's gonna be like, "Oh my god, that I was waiting for that picture. I was waiting for that picture."
0: Actually, you know what? It's funny. It's like the naked man. If you ever watched like How I Met Your Mother, there was like this this one
1: thing called the naked man
0: television show. I loved I love that show. Don't talk so bad about it. So unfunny. No, man. But go on. Tell me about the the naked
1: naked man. The uh, naked
0: man. So it was this like. So one of the characters was on his date with this like random dude who was like balding fat guy. And Ted, who is like the guy telling the story walks in and sees this dude just laid butt ass naked in the, in the apartment. And he's like, what the hell is going on? And he's like, Oh, this is my, this is my thing. It's called the naked man. He's like, you know what? It, it's whimsical. So, you know, I go out on a date. I know I have no traction with this woman. I know there's no future. So I have nothing to lose. So I'll, you know, try to work my way up to the apartment, like maybe, Oh, you know, for a cup of coffee or if you know using the bathroom and then i just take off my clothes and sit there naked and either i will get like he's like one out of three times it works where you know it's kind of pity but essentially you know either she'll you know kick and scream and throw me out or i get lucky granted that is Crazy. totally like creepy, <laughs> but and I it's
1: a that, television show people it's a exactly telev- or it was a television it show.
0: was a television show on network television surprisingly but um yeah, and so I think that kind of goes in that same type of atmosphere. It's like you know what? I really don't have anything to lose, and maybe I'll catch a woman on a on a. On a it's almost like that two AM text where it's like, "What are you doing?" Except just unclothed, just not saying words, just naked. But still, that not is not advice
1: service. that I would give. That to follow the the followings of a naked, naked
0: man from no, I wouldn't either. Your no, I wouldn't either. Especially <laughs> like I mean, it's it's not. It's not well received. I mean, I, I think if somebody would no, do that, they don't, might end up with lead the best.
1: Guys, don't do it. Don't don't uh, unless it it is reciprocal. Unless it's understood. Unless you already have a relationship, that type of healthy relationship, you can do whatever you want with each other. Don't randomly do nonsense, sending ri- ridiculous sex messages over and over and over again. Don't send inappropriate pictures if they're not wanted. Don't do it. But. I think there's something that we everyone can agree. Men and women, there's one thing that we agree that we love nakedness. The nakedness of our pets. They're always naked. Pets don't have any clothes. When we put clothes on pets, it's always funny. Yes, exactly. So it's funny when you put uh, clothes on pets because they're always running around furry. They're furry. They have wings, this side and the other. So tweet us a picture of your pets when they're with you, when they're sleeping, when they're helping you work, when you're walking them. We love pets at HBP. Tweet us picture of them, and we'll be re, we'll be happy to retweet it. Our Twitter handle again is it at HBP forty forty, and use the hashtag HBPets. That's HBPETS.
0: And that is a wrap for this episode. We want to thank you for listening, and for those who haven't, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast rate us, and please give us a review. We always enjoy reading those, and we would love to read yours. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, at HBP4040, and our drinks will be in the show notes. Make sure that you join us next time for a brand new episode of HBP, Hipster Baseball Podcast. Peace.